1: PUT is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the podcast we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Monique Whitney. Welcome to the PuttCast. We're so glad to have you here today, and I'd like to say hi to my co-host, our President Scott.
2: Hey, everybody. How's it going?
0: And Scott we're uh, fortunate today we have a really interesting guest on the podcast this is uh, someone that you connected to and i wondered if you would uh share a little bit about Nathan and how you first came into contact and then we'll give Nathan a chance to say hello as well
2: Sure so i, I you know i like to have my ear to the, to the pavement and all things in our industry it just it fascinates me all the different aspects of it and organizations and i listen to a lot of other you know, programs, podcasts, and such, and I had heard him on Todd's podcast um, a couple months ago, and uh, I just reached out because he had told the story about how this traditional PBM responded to the savings that that, that they had proposed to this organization, and that traditional PBM just went, uh, went back and you know, gave them the difference in in cash, I believe, and I was like, "Is that even legal?" I just wanted to know how how is that legal? And Nathan summed it up pretty good. And I'll let him talk about that. But it, you know, it's one of those situations where, just like if a wholesaler you know wanted to keep your business, they may you know give you a, a certain amount of money up front, knowing that they're going to take more than that on the back end. So anyway, that's kind of how we started chatting back and forth. And uh, as you know, we we like to focus on ways to eliminate traditional pbms in our practices as best that we can and you know one way to do that is working with a partner like uh, you know a non-traditional pbm or a uh, transparent pbm and that's that's something that i think that a lot of us appreciate about the work that, that nathan does with his organization
0: absolutely and so it is without further ado nathan we are so excited to have you nathan gabhart you are the founder of TrueScripts, which is a, a truly innovative pharmacy benefit management company. Do you call yourself a PBM with the way PBMs are being seen <laughs> today? Or tell us a little bit about you and about your yeah, such scripts. a bad word, isn't it? Yeah, great, great <laughs>
1: question. Boy, how do you answer that one? So no, um, it's yeah. a pleasure to be here, Scott and Monique. I really appreciate it. And thanks to uh, your audience for allowing me this this opportunity. So yeah, I, I am a pharmacist, um, but uh, and when we do own a PBM, so, we are a pharmacy benefit manager uh, in in the marketplace. but uh, we're a pharmacist at hearts. and um you know certainly uh, I look forward to sharing our story,
0: yeah, tell us a little bit about Excellent. your story. So the people that Pot works with, the people who listen to this podcast are are very much the kind of people who have not had great experiences with PBMs. And you know, when we were talking with you before this show, we had the occasion to to learn a little bit more about TrueScripts, and it's it's really great, really really great what you do. Just tell us about it.
2: Sure. But well, you also had a background in uh, as a, as an independent owner prior to this, too, correct? Well,
1: that's just it, Scott. Yeah, I'm I'm an independent pharmacist at heart. I, I've been very involved in the pharmacy profession, really going back to Purdue. And in my Academy of Students of Pharmacy days, you um, had the fortunate opportunity to uh, help lead that organization and, and to go on and be a national officer for uh, Purdue and APHA in 97. In pharmacy school and then uh, then my first job was at an independent pharmacy i had gotten selected by walgreens to do an internship that they they allowed one student at purdue to do each year and i went and did that internship had a great time and i was going to go do corporate management for walgreens in las vegas and they had the path all set up so but i had to do my rotations through at pharmacy school so i went back to my hometown i d- did my two Uh, eight-week rotations back then, and I did one um, at an independent pharmacy in my hometown. And that first week, I absolutely fell in love with that pharmacy and their owners and just how they ran their business. And I was the first uh, Walgreens extern uh, from Purdue um, in history to turn down a position in corporate management. And uh, they, they called me Rook, and they said, well, Rook, when your first check bounces, give us a call. I've not called them back yet. So, He's got my start in the independent pharmacy there in Washington, Indiana. I just loved it. And uh, we grew that chain from two locations up to about 15 by the time I left in 2013 and then had the real fortunate opportunity to be involved in the Indiana Pharmacists Alliance and also the Community Pharmacies of Indiana and actually served as president of CPI for four years. And then I served as president of IPA as well. So uh, pharmacist uh, in, in inside. Um, I've been working in a pharmacy since I was 16, absolutely love pharmacy, and I could have never have imagined myself not working in a pharmacy. So it's just ironic and on where we are at today.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about how the uh, idea for transitioning from what you had, uh, I'm assuming, some passion for to uh, stick your head into this rabbit hole? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, we, we had, um, obviously, we had the same battles every other pharmacy did, uh, right? I mean, we, had, we we're battling the PBMs on a daily basis. And back, um, you know, really, uh, it started back in 2000, 2001, when the anthrax scare was happening and all the white powder was being mailed to different folks and, you know, Cipro was the drug of choice. And then there was a new um, a drug that came out that basically Cipro had just went generic And a new, uh, an improved version of Cipro came out, but it was brand only. And here we had basically a $4 drug and a $400 drug that were not substitutable, but had the exact same active ingredient. And lo and behold, we had PBMs requiring the more expensive one to be dispensed. So that's when we realized how much power the PBMs had on what the members actually received through the pharmacy, because Scott, as you know, pharmacies are the ones actually buying the drugs. We know the acquisition cost of the drugs, and we obviously know the therapeutic effectiveness of those drugs. So that was our first um, inclination that these PBMs were not looking out for the best interest of their of their employers. And then whenever we saw, saw the maintenance choice program, I think CBS Caremark at the time was the one who who launched that program where any CVS Caremark member, they had a maintenance choice. And that choice was you can use any pharmacy twice and then you had to use CVS. And that oh, was that a, for
2: a choice, right?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. It was so frustrating. Our patients did not want to switch. I mean, we did blood pressures, blood sugars. We did all these other clinical screenings that the chains did not do. So you lost access to all of that. Um, just our after hours service, or delivery. You, you, you know, I'm preaching to the choir.
2: Here. Well, that's a. I mean, that's a really good point that we don't talk about very often. Is the engagement and the care that you lose through force. And such that we often complain about with your CVS especially. I mean, that, that's a, a, a egregious at best, but tragic uh, mostly because you're right. You know, these are, these are services that we don't traditionally charge for. Maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. That can be argued later. But ideally, when you're forced to go to a chain, you're being herded. You're not getting any type of, of care, you're getting a prescription filled.
1: Well, as independent pharmacists, we actually try to build relationships with our patients. Not only are they our lifeblood, they are our support system. I mean, there's patients that you look forward to seeing when they walk in the door. And because they bring so much joy and you know them so well, so when they're not doing well, and just like a spouse or a family member or, or, or a pet, anything that you know really well, they don't even have to say anything and you know something's wrong with them. And building those relationships is so critical, whether it's a prescriber or a pharmacist, because we typically don't just openly share our issues. So it takes those healthcare professionals to build that personal relationship to say, hey, look, I know something's going on. And then they open up to you and they say, my blood sugar was 600, but I don't want my doctor to freak out or whatever. So those relationships are are critically important, but that's where we saw the writing on the wall that these PBMs were steering patients away from our pharmacies. So one of my partners and myself, you know, I think we were having a cocktail one night and we said, look, you know, let's see if we can do something about this. And we had no idea how to do it, but we knew what we wanted to do. And then ironically, one of my neighbors was an HR manager of a local employer, and he was frustrated with his traditional PBM. And he said, hey, look, if you're really serious about this idea, you know, we we will consider being your first client. And then we're really, we were off to the races at that point.
2: That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Ironically, Putts kind of started off with the same type of issue when our founding members were frustrated with the Lipitor issue going generic. And here's this highly inexpensive generic. And, you know, here we are getting $4 coupons for branded Lipitor and still spending the money to, to buy it. And, you know, Where's the cost savings involved? I mean, yeah, a patient can get it for $4, but they were going to get it around that anyway if it wasn't the generic, you know. Oh, 100%. And if you bought a, a
1: bottle of 90 and some plan only allowed a 21-day supply and you're, you're, you're stuck with, you know, 10 or 20 tablets in that bottle, that, that's your entire gross margin on that bottle that's now going to exactly. sit there and fire. So it was a death knell to retail pharmacy. But boy, manufacturers, they couldn't pay PBMs enough to, to get that brand name product going and um meanwhile the, the employer you know knew nothing about this
0: so i have a question for you nathan coming from this uh as a patient I, i'm not a pharmacist i'm curious you started TrueScripts at a time when you know the actions that these extremely large pbms were taking were unknown they were dominating the market though i'm curious about uh what changes you've seen if any in the industry since you started and what you think you know when you look at the state of the industry what your thoughts are about that what's happened and you know Mm -hmm. what is it meaning now for patients and payers and providers
1: i would say one of the main things that i've seen over the past five years is that the pbms are trying to put layers of experts between them and the employer and I don't have any uh, substantiative data or evidence to validate this, just more anecdotal and just life experience. And what I mean by that is there's all of these pharmacy consulting companies popping up, these data analytic companies popping up that will analyze your drug claims to ensure that they will be able to select the best PBM for you. So there's all these intermediaries, and my suspicion is is that these intermediaries are either affiliates or somehow are incentivized by the traditional PBMs because they're able to take a very subjective data um, that's very dynamic. It changes based off of the client and based off the pharmacy, and they try to standardize it. And then they throw it in a spreadsheet, and they say, look, nine's less than 10. You need to go with nine. And so what what happens is there's this sense of, okay well, this must not be happening to me because these third party um, consulting companies recommended these folks. And there's a number of them out there um, and they definitely don't want to throw mud and they're not our competitors and I'm not looking for a fight. But there's a number of companies out there that are deemed as these pharmacy experts. uh, Yet the recommendations they make are typically the traditional PBMs. So they take this junk data and somehow standardize it and cleanse it and, and regurgitate it back to the client that says, hey, look, this is actually your best choice in spite of what you hear. Meanwhile, that client's cost continues to increase and all the gimmicks continue to go on, but it's just because a pharmacy expert recommended it, the employer disengages from that decision-making process almost. So I've, I've seen a lot of that, but we go back to just fifth grade math and common sense is really how we built our company. And here, here we are a company in Washington, Indiana, and people always say, why Washington, Indiana? And I say, well, why Bentonville, Arkansas? Because in 1968, there was about 18,000 people in Bentonville, but but 10 of them were Sam Walton's in-laws. So that's why He chose Bentonville, Arkansas. Uh, Washington is my hometown. We obviously um, could have went anywhere. Today, we've got clients and members and claims processing in all 50 states, and we've done that completely organically. But we wanted to bring a product to the market that challenged the employers. And one question we always ask our employers, and if there's any employers listening, is how many vendors would you hire to provide services for your company and sign the contract without knowing how much they charge. And the PBM industry is one of the only industries where a contract is signed where, in some cases, there's no disclosed admin fee whatsoever in that contract. Yet employers continue to sign, and they sign it because their advisors across the table are telling them to. So we always ask uh, our employers, look, any vendor needs to tell you how they generate their revenue. Because in the PBM space, there's really – the only people who fund our space is the employer and the member. Nathan doesn't put any money into it. Scott doesn't put any money into it per se. Only the plan and the member. Okay? So if you look at the supply chain, those are the two givers, and then everyone else takes money out of the system. We always ask, how does your PBM generate their revenue? Is it from the employer? Or is it from pharmacies or is it from the drug manufacturers? And that's the only three sources of revenue that a PBM can generate revenue from. So that's why when we created TrueScripts, one vow I made to myself is that I would never own any pharmacies. And that's a vow we've stuck to today and we'll continue to stick to it. Cause I could easily open a specialty pharmacy, only service my members nationwide and generate another $10 million in net income with the volume that we're processing. But that makes me one step closer to a traditional PBM. And I tell my client, look, you're going to be my sole source of revenue. We will have preferred and restricted networks of specialty pharmacies where we control the level of care and the pricing, but there's no incentive for us to fill a prescription, if that makes sense. So I guess I'll, I'll stop there. So, so I don't get it too long. Yeah, absolutely.
0: No, it's good. How, how well, many hopefully... of your clients know what the sources are for their payment? I, if someone asked me that in my old, my old job, I used to, I owned a business and I had employees and had to buy insurance. If I'd been asked that, I wouldn't have known the answer to that question. I'm curious how many of your clients do
1: when we first started None of our clients knew because we were like this round peg in this square world. And they're like, "Okay, unless I know someone else who uses you, I don't want to be first. So that's how we built our business. And then today uh, we have a network of insurance brokers and consultants across the country who have seen our product live for a number of years. And they have got to know us from a relationship standpoint and they know how we operate and so now we have these partners across the country and we really, we work with all brokers and consulting firms, but typically the larger the brokerage firms, the more that that corporate entity is getting paid by a PBM. And we've been approached by some that says, look, it's two and a half dollars per prescription uh, for you to be on our preferred PBM list. And you know we process millions of prescriptions and our rebuttal was, okay, who pays that 250 And they say, well, you do. I'm like, well, we don't put any money in, so that has to come from the client. So the client's actually paying it. Well, you can't tell the client. So you have all this shell game, all this money, but typically the regional independent broker has been our sweet spot. So their clients have been fully educated already by the time they come to TrueScripts uh, where they already know. But if you ask any a Fortune 500 company any executive on what their PBM charges them. One, I don't think they'll have any idea. Or two, they'll say, oh, well, we're in some special consortium, so we don't have to pay anything. And they actually think that that's possible in a for-profit industry.
2: Hopefully some of that those hidden revenue sources, especially for the brokerage, large brokerages are going to go away a little bit. They'll at least now have, I uh, believe, disclose their their revenue sources, is that correct?
1: Yeah, right now all brokers have to uh, submit a a form 5500 for any insurance product that they receive commission on. PBMs have always been considered non-insurance because we don't have any risk in this product. But as of January of 2022, I believe any form of uh, commission or, or revenue share has to be disclosed openly. So they'll at least have to explain where they're generating that revenue from.
0: So then, um, so Nathan, when you are, you know, looking at the future of the industry, you guys have grown, you're, you're seeing more and more interest from clients on your side. What do you see would be the future? I mean, right now we've got these three, you know, as many as five, but certainly the big three who have just gobbled up such a huge percentage of the market and have engaged in what are now well-documented tactics to try to keep business and keep people, you know, in the dark, what do you think will happen to the industry? Do you think that more and more employers will start to find companies like yours? Or or do you think that they'll just continue to trust names like Express Scripts or CVS because, quote unquote, they've been around so long?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a combination of everything. I mean, unfortunately, what happens is when there's a high demand for a certain type of product, like a transparent PBM, there'll be more and more transparent pbms pop up you know overnight and i think what will happen is is some of those transparent pbms may have the same morals and values as some of the traditional pbms so i think what's going to happen is is our our industry will start seeing more and more different pbms come to our industry Uh, some of them will be better than others and unfortunately i think some will give a bad name to the transparent pbms or full pass-through pbms or whatever you want to call us but I definitely think that right now the PBMs and the large consulting houses are scrambling on how can we generate the same amount of revenue, uh, but in a different manner. Uh, I think they're, they're, they're really scrambling right now. I know some of them are creating some GPOs and these other sister companies, um, more, more like these shell companies, to start moving revenue through. I don't fully understand the the architecture of it yet, but I know there's something nefarious going on. Me, I, I Googled it last week, I think it was, and I think there were up to 102,000 PBM lawsuits. If you just type in PBM lawsuits, if you put oh, 2000 and yeah. if you put 2020, wow. in, I think it's 67,000. Now, a lot of those are duplicates and so forth, but it's a bunch, right? And it's it's disgusting and it continues to happen. And that's why we tell our clients, look, you know, fifth grade math and common sense. You know, if you don't know what your your vendor is charging, and they're generating one hundred and eighty billion dollars in net revenue on these publicly disclosed financials, and again, they're one hundred and sixty page financials, but if you just slow down and take some time, you can see how many claims they're adjudicating and how much revenue they're they're creating, and just simply do the math, and that's how much they're creating from their product. And not only that, but yeah, we're, we've been in situations where we've been finalists, and not only has the traditional PBM come back with like exorbitant rebates so they can pay the client magically, they actually will waive their disclosed admin fee and even pay the client an admin fee the first year to service it. But you have to sign a three-year deal. And so if you, if you sign that three-year deal thinking that all three years are going to be profitable, you're, you get what you deserve. So mm-hmm. the clients who reach out to Absolutely. Us, yeah, the clients who reach out to us are usually sick and tired of being sick and tired. And one thing that always reassures me that my company is on the right path is we have a 60-day termination clause in our contract that it can be terminated for any reason with zero financial liability and yet we have a 97% lifetime client retention rate. And wow. that in itself is our best marketing. And uh, we're focused on being the best and, and not the biggest. So we're not interested in any private equity or venture capital um, investments. They, they contact me twice a month at least, and we just don't need it. Um, and you know, I, I grew up on welfare and a single parent family. You know, so what I made as a pharmacist was more money than I'd ever seen in my entire life. So we're not doing this for money.
2: So you say it's fifth grade math and, and, and Google. I, I say it's how long is your contract? I think that we had seen some that were upwards of 170, 180 pages.
1: Oh, it, it, exactly. And that, that's a that's an excellent point. Our, our contract now is back down to nine pages. One of the fonts got off and kicked it up. Nice at, work. Yeah, and, and I have about through a fit. So but uh, it's back down to nine. But yeah, your traditional contracts and we've got copies of several of them, you know, they're 50 to 100 pages. And one of my team members says, yes, it's it's uh, it's 25 pages of promises. It's 25 pages of taking back those promises and it's 50 <laughs> pages. Of, you don't even want to know what's in there.
0: That's great. That's I like great. That. What do you say to this thing that, you know, PBMs put out there that if they were required to be transparent, everybody's prices would go up? It's. It, Again, just in the common sense world, that makes no sense. And yet it seems to be the prevailing defense. I'm curious what
1: you say to that. Good question. I guess, you know, I try to call balls and strikes. And and again, I'm a pharmacist, past pharmacy owner, a PBM owner. So I've I've been on both sides of the equations. I'd rephrase the question just a little bit. And I I would say if there were no PBMs and the patients just went to pharmacies and paid cash, the price would go up uh, 100%. Because we've got 70,000 pharmacies and they all don't operate their their pharmacies like Scott operates his. There's some bad pharmacies out there who are just trying to make as much money as they possibly can be gone in a couple of years. And we need to work together to get rid of those out of our profession because they make us all look bad. So we're yeah. in a position here that these PBMs, I mean, they can provide a good service. And my philosophy is this, is the ph- retail pharmacies need to make a reasonable profit. And as a past pharmacy owner, and I haven't owned pharmacies in about eight years, but we knew what a reasonable profit was. And, I mean, it's low single digits net income as far as percentage of net income of sales. I mean, it's low single digits that pharmacies make. So they're not making money hand over fist. In an ideal world, all the wholesaler gimmicks that we have regarding You know all the rebates and so forth where they invoice you high and then they rebate you back a month later so therefore when you get audited by medicaid you know you you have a higher invoice price and that's what medicaid sets the reimbursement off of theoretically In, in an ideal world if we can live in a clean system where the pbm played fair and the pharmacies played fair you know pharmacy reimbursement should go up But the way the current system works, you almost need a whiteboard to draw this out, is you got the employer on one side paying $100 for a drug, the PBM's paying the pharmacy $30 for the drug, and the PBM's keeping the $70. Whereas if the PBM would just pay the pharmacy $50 for the drug and then charge an admin fee, then the employer pays $60 or whatever, PBM keeps $10, and then the pharmacy gets $50, everybody still wins, but the PBM makes less in that equation. The pharmacies need to get paid more than what they're currently getting. The PBMs need to be keeping less, and then the, the client and the member and, and everyone wins in that equation.
2: Also too, there's a side of it that's not talked about. I mean, we couldn't possibly trust the manufacturers to be good moral corporations. And when it comes to this, either so you're right. There there is a level of necessity from a you know beyond just a, a a claims processing situation. I mean, there there has to be accountability on you know in all three entities, and I would go as far to say four is with the wholesalers. Drug companies want to talk about you know PVMs being a problem as well, but PVMs pretty much exist in the form they do because the manufacturers were being a little bit greedy, don't you think? Oh,
1: I agree. I mean, the manufacturers are the ones kind of feeding this system. I mean, they can, you know, point fingers elsewhere, but the manufacturers obviously are trying to get their product to the market. I mean, we've seen this probably in my career. I've seen, I don't know, 50 or 100 drugs, high utilized drugs get recalled due to safety issues, you know, on year three, year four. Uh, that were deemed safe when they came out, but they were, in my opinion, pushed because they needed the revenue. The manufacturers control the strings to all this. If if they wanted to fix this and, and eliminate rebates across the board, I mean, they could really do it tomorrow. But what happens is, is obviously we know that the manufacturer is the ultimate one who controls the cost of that drug. And that's in the form of what we call an AWP or the average wholesale price. The manufacturer will say, no, the wholesale determines that because it's the average wholesale price. Well, we know AWP is WAC times 1.2 and WAC is wholesale acquisition cost. Well, they acquire it from the manufacturer who determines the wax, right? right? So there's a lot of acronyms out there, a lot of finger pointing. But at the end of the day, it's a situation where a manufacturer would pay me tens of thousands of dollars to put a product on my formulary that's $30,000 a year that someone could get over the counter for $100 a year for the exact same active ingredient. Mm-hmm. And a manufacturer would pay me half of that $30,000 to do that. Because then they make fifteen, I make fifteen, and we all win, right? Well, the employer is the one who gets killed in that scenario. The manufacturer and the PBM, to me, are the two entities that are most responsible for today's healthcare issues.
2: Yeah, and and I, I agree with you. And of course, one of the arguments that you see PCMA argue in front of different subcommittees is is that they don't set the price, which is you know kind of a half truth, right? I mean, we've all seen situations where a PBM would obviously refuse to put a drug on formulary um, if the rebate isn't high enough. Or the situation recently where we saw uh, OptumRx, I believe, preempt uh, one of the rules that was going to go into effect. and basically said we still expect our percentage to not change, even though you're making XYZ financial sacrifice based on this government agreement and to me that just tells you a whole lot about who's setting the price it's sometimes you know the manufacturer and sometimes it's the pbm
1: yeah i i I agree i mean i don't know which one's worse i mean obviously the pbms in my opinion i would say it's done not it's not 50 50 i would say the pbms definitely would probably take the lion's share but it just seems that you know let's say that there's a ten thousand dollar rebate involved to the pbm just theoretically it just—I just get the feel that the manufacturer says, "Okay, well, if I'm going to give you ten, I'm going to add another fifteen hundred for us, and I'm going to increase the price by eleven thousand five hundred, just so it's worth both of our times." And neither one of those parties look at the the employer and the member to see what impact it has on them. It's just basically, you know, yeah. who are they working for? And um, you yeah. know, they're working for their stockholders.
0: Yeah, oh, you know, and as uh, as a consumer, it's so frustrating too because your medicine should not, you should not have to go through a system to buy your medicine like we go through to buy a car. You know, it's frustrating when you've got a product and the price is not the price. The price is some other price, a list price, but there's a net price. And in between the net price and the list price, there's all these other layers. And it could be this amount of money, or it might be that amount of money. You know, it's why we have the NADAC, the National Average Drug Acquisition Cost index now, which itself requires uh, monthly checks. You know, it's just weird to see our drugs start to become commodities like corn would be you know, traded.
1: Yeah, so I mean, there's no question about it. And that conversation could spin off in a number of different directions. I mean, it's just the um, whole accountability issue in our culture today is obviously something we probably all need to focus on. And um, are we being accountable to ourselves, to our own, to our own health? And is there an expectation that someone should give me my pills for free in spite of me causing some of these conditions to myself? Just give me a pill and make sure it's low cost. You know, I'm not sure that's why our country was founded on. So we all <laughs> we all need to take some accountability and say let's keep ourselves happy and healthy and let's be kind to each other. But then also let's be good consumers. And there's a, there's a plethora of resources that that consumers have now regarding drug pricing, whether it's just simply back in the day, you just called different pharmacies to see what their cost was. Um, It's a little more complicated today, but there's also more resources today. But um, we like to pick a villain in this. And then, you know, if we can just get that villain to straighten up, then none of us have to change our lives. But in the PBM world, it is probably one of the most disgusting industries that I've ever been affiliated with. That's why it's in, it's critically important for our morals and our values at TrueScripts to be, to be lived every day so we don't turn into one of them.
0: Yeah. Well, this leads to, I think, a, a good question to end on or an interesting question to end on. We're seeing new movement at the FTC looking at these mergers. And of course, it started with big tech, but we're now looking also in the healthcare industry. I'm curious what your thoughts are about that and What effect, if if there were to be some unraveling of these major industries, how might that affect the industry or affect the experience that patients and payers are having?
1: Yeah, I guess, I mean, I would like to be optimistic, but in my opinion, corporate America, obviously, it's all about revenue. And if they don't hit their quarterly earnings report numbers, then their stock prices decrease. And there's so much money and knowledge and expertise in corporate America You know, and I'm from the government and I'm here to help, you know, some of the eight scariest words that you can hear. And 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 I am a a county commissioner, so I am part of the local government. So I'm saying this from from both sides of the fence. The corporate America is going to find a way to hit their revenue numbers. They're just going to look at the new rules. The new rules are going to be obviously uh, created by lobbyists. Those lobbyists work for the trade industries. And there's going to be a number of things in these new rules so i'm not optimistic at all that any sort of unraveling is going to lower the cost once you add all the net sums back together i think it could even be worse so i have no um, expectation that any sort of government intervention is going to help Um, i can say that the vertical integration that we've seen in the marketplace is glaringly um, a terrible idea for the marketplace because When you have every vendor around the table owned by the same company, who's who's looking out for you? Uh, Who's keeping each other honest, so to speak? And it's just like squeezing the balloon. If you think your pharmacy costs are too high, well, if you own all the companies, well, you can lower the pharmacy cost a little bit and then just move that over into your medical cost and then just keep playing that game. So the vertical integration has been really, really productive for our business, just because it's such a terrible business model for the consumer. But uh, I, I've worked legislatively here in Indiana uh, the past couple of sessions when I was president of CPI, where we, we created our first PBM audit bill. And uh, it was me on one side of the table, ESI on the other side, and then Peggy Welch, who was the author of the bill, uh, kind of in the middle. Um, and then here recently, we just passed a couple more pieces of legislation that, that we probably helped write about 80 percent of it. And that's something that we're, we're definitely very proud of.
2: That's really that's great. That's good that you guys are that involved. We try to do our best to engage in the process at hand. And I think that everybody needs to realize how important that is.
1: So, thank you. Oh, 100%. You're welcome. And yeah, we, we try to conduct ourselves as if God's watching. So, I mean, I always tell folks if the truth hurts, you need to change the truth. And I mean, if, I, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm lying or being misleading, tell me how. But uh, otherwise, let's just hit it head on. But uh, it is also inspiring, though, too, Scott, to see folks like you and your organization. As I look on LinkedIn, and then one of my colleagues down in Tennessee is now the president of the Tennessee Pharmacy Association. And just seeing these other movers and shakers in the marketplace is very inspiring to us. And it gives us just more excitement and energy to keep doing what we're doing on a daily basis.
0: Well, Nathan, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you for the work that you and your team are doing. Scott and I have had the very great pleasure of speaking with several people at your company. And they are a a hardworking, really positive energy group. And I just think anyone who gets to work with you is very fortunate and probably enjoys it
1: very much. Well, we appreciate those kind words. Uh, we're just a phone call away and it's uh, thank you guys for all that you do.
0: And everyone, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. If you liked this episode, please let us know in the notes section below. Otherwise we will see you next time.